ultimately going to um, land at some different places, but I want to just take a minute. I see some beautiful new faces. Thank you for being here. And um, we've been studying uh, some different parts of a bigger subject, uh, learning to trust God now for some time together. And um, we're in a part now that don't, don't look at it and think it has nothing to do with trusting God because I believe that it has everything to do with our learning to trust God. And so um, in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, a lot of this is just review if you'll just give me a minute to kind of bring us all up to speed. And for those of you who are new, I'm going to try to really explain some, term, some terminology that will help you uh, continue on. Uh, with us as we study together this morning. But Jesus is quoting Isaiah here when he says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Okay. So there's another passage in Luke 6 and 46 that's related to this one. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And we see that these verses are a part of a whole bunch of verses, Old and New Testament, that reveal a huge disconnect. Um, And that disconnect is between what people, um, you know, talk about their love for God and and how they love Him and and so forth and so on, but never actually follow through and do what He says. And we see this problem began with Adam and Eve in the garden and has continued throughout the history of mankind here on this earth. So he's asking a question here that I want to give you a, a very simple answer. Well, I say simple answer. It, it, on the surface, it may not seem simple, but if you understand what the words mean, you'll, you'll see that it's really a simple answer. So remember now, Jesus is asking a question here. And this is not just a, a question that's new to Jesus or new to the generation that Jesus is, is speaking to. Um, it, this was a question that Father God asked his people through the prophet Isaiah many generations before. And the question is, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you speak favorably of me? Why do you, you know, say these terms of endearment and things of this nature to me, but do not do the things which I say? Okay. Now, related to this, hold on to that question. Related to this is John 14 and 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. To be honest with you, this verse made me a little bit uncomfortable for, for uh, many years you know, early in my walk with the Lord because I didn't understand what he was saying, and this sounded so much like a worldly version of love where, you know, if you really love me, you would do this for me, you know, and it's almost like um, some type of mode of, you know, method of, of manipulating people or making them feel guilty or ashamed, you know. But listen, that, J- Jesus is not a manipulator. God doesn't manipulate. That's the devil and his work, okay? Um, and so if you understand what Jesus really said here, He said, if you agape me, keep my commandments. If you agape me, keep my commandments. And, of course, the word agape is the original Greek word that was translated into our English word love. And we actually see that there are multiple Greek words that have different meanings that are also translated into our English word love. For instance, philo, and let me put... um, let me put these two uh, definitions up here. These are the two we've been focusing on now for the last several weeks. Philo, which will be translated in your English Bible uh, to the word love, this is speaking of warm, fond, affectionate feelings that is often associated with friendship. Um, Philadelphia, for example, gets its name from this uh, Greek word, and it means the city of what brotherly love. 
So when Jesus says love your enemies, he didn't say philo your enemies. See, we hear love and we think automatically almost warm, fine, affectionate feelings. Jesus didn't say philo your enemies. He said agape your enemies. And so agape also translated love in your English Bible. Um, but it has a different meaning. This means to esteem. It's, it's a value that you place. And that's what we're going to ultimately talk about in the balance of our time together this morning is how esteem is such a critical part in all of this, okay? Learning to trust God, pleasing God, so forth and so on. So remember now, agape begins with an estimation or evaluation. You see, the reason, the reason that the Lord instructed you and me to love our enemies, right, is because even though they may have done some things that are wrong or bad, um, by the way, we've all done things that are wrong and bad, right? Father still has a very high value placed upon someone even if they're doing something wrong or bad. Are you seeing this? Just because somebody's wrong doesn't mean they're worthless. <laughs> Just because somebody's caught up in something, some sin of the flesh or, or, or you know, acting out in some way or caught in some kind of trap, this doesn't mean that this person has no value. Now see, again, if we only understand love as philo, remember philo always, uh, you know, <laughs> gravitates towards people that make us feel good and make us feel good about ourselves and so forth and so on. Um, and, and then Philo will then have you tricked into uh, looking down upon people who make you feel a certain way. So your enemy obviously irritates you, annoys you, bothers you, these, these kinds of things. If we're not careful, we, we will think that that person has no worth or value because of whatever it is that they're doing, whatever they've said, or, or, or so forth and so on. So agape looks at it from a, different, a completely different perspective. It's the value of the person, not how that person uh, makes you feel. Um, it has nothing to do with feelings. All right. So agape then means to esteem, to value, indicating a direction of the will. It's a choice that you make. It's nothing to do with feelings. It's a choice. Agape includes the ideas of obedience, duty, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. Now, I've been making this statement. I'm going to keep making it, okay? I believe philo for Jesus without agape for Jesus, is one of the biggest problems we have in the body of Christ today. In other words, we have, he, he holds a special place in our hearts. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's like a sentiment, you know, it's like, it's like man, you know, just uh, so thankful of Jesus, that, you know, all these other things, and we call him Lord, Lord, um, but we don't do the things that he says because we have philo for him but no agape. So I believe philo for Jesus without agape for Jesus is one of the biggest problems we have in the body of Christ. Philo, warm, fond, affectionate feelings for Jesus, without agape, placing the proper value of his worth and responding to him in light of that valuation. That's agape, okay? Philo without agape creates an emotional connection to Jesus that seems strong and durable but is actually weak and shallow. Come on now, I need a smile or a nod or something that you're hearing me this morning, okay? This is important, man. I'm telling you, the devil does not want you to understand this. And and, and matter of fact, I, forgive me, Holy Spirit, because he prompted me before I came up here. He said, you need to tell them to not let their philo for the Lord trick them into thinking that none of this applies to them today. Because that, that's how deceptive, um, you know, philo... The, the classic example for this, and I'm not going to go back, but again, because we have so many new people with us this morning, um, this was the mistake that Peter made. He let his philo for Jesus write a check 
that his agape for Jesus could not cash. Remember, Jesus is trying to encourage him. He's trying to bless him. He's trying to, to help him and build him up. He says, listen, Peter, you, you don't understand that, you know, before the rooster crows three you know, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. It was Philo in Peter's heart for the Lord that said, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll die for you. I'll die with you. Notice now, he's, see again, how Philo has this, this tendency to elevate. He's like, I don't know what any of these other losers are going to do. That's a New Winslander transfer translation, you know. See, you know, I don't know what everybody else is gonna, in this room is going to do, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to die for you. See, that's Philo talking, and he meant every word of it. He meant every word of it. Because, again, he had this warm, fond, affectionate feeling for Jesus in his heart. That's not the same. Have we learned anything about feelings by now? We've learned that what feelings are fickle. Feelings change. They're up and down, back and forth. Okay. So philo without agape creates an emotional connection to Jesus that seems strong and durable, but is actually weak and shallow. See, the real strength, the real trust, the real currency in your relationship with the Lord is trust. It's not, it's not feelings. It's not sentiment. It's, it's not um, him having a special place in your heart. Jesus never stopped having a special place in Peter's heart. He still had a special place in Peter's heart when Peter's using foul language, saying, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the man. I've never, never been around the man. Just lying about it, right? Now, let's run through this just for review. We're, we're kind of progressing to some new things. Thank you for your patience. So, philo for Jesus without agape for him will deceive you. It's deceptive, all right? And it'll deceive you into believing, and the list is growing, but we've got four so far, okay? The first thing it'll deceive you into, into doing is it'll deceive you into believing you trust him far more than you actually do. When you have philo, but no agape, it'll deceive you in, into, into believing you trust Jesus far more than you actually do. It'll deceive you into believing you are committed more than you actually are. <laughs> Amen. All right, number three, philo for Jesus without agape for him will deceive you into believing you have given him a place in your life that you have not given him. Okay. And then number four, philo for Jesus without agape for him will deceive you into believing you value him and that he is more precious to you than he actually is. Now, philo is rooted in our feelings for Jesus. Agape is rooted in our choice to hear him, follow where he leads, and do what he says. Philo focuses on how you feel about someone Agape focuses on how you esteem someone and what you are willing to do for them based upon that estimation. We have got to get these things straight in our hearts and minds, okay? Matter of fact, I almost wish, like, when we're professing our love for the Lord, that we would just go ahead and tell Him which one it is that we're professing in that moment. Right? Because a whole lot... Remember now, there's nothing... Philo is, is, has its place. God created it. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's something, something wicked or evil. I'm just saying that, that philo without agape can be very deceptive. It, it, can, it can make you think you're, you're, you're at one level when you're really not at that level. It can make you think that you've, you, know, you, just, you and Jesus are so close and you just put your whole trust in him and all these other things only you know, for life on a cursed planet to punch you in the gut and you figure out you not, don't trust him nearly as much as you thought you did. Are you with me now? I don't want that to happen to us. I do not want that to happen to us. So I almost wish again, see, Philo can sing and just lavish all kinds of, 
of praise upon the Lord, and we should do that. Okay, but agape is more. It's not more about. It is about action. It's about what we do, not what we say. Why do people uh, call him Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which he says? It's because they have philo in their heart for him, but not a lot of agape. Let's just say it that way. So agape focuses on how you esteem someone and what you are willing to do for them based upon that estimation. Notice we're not talking about feelings now. So agape for another person, I'm going to say this as many different ways as I can say it because I feel like it's, it's that important in order for us to move forward this morning, okay? Agape for another person is based upon the way you value them not how you feel about them or how they make you feel. All right, now, we have, for some time now, I need to go back and look at when, the, when we first started this. It was, it was obviously back in uh, 2021. The Lord began to talk to us about learning to trust Him. Learning to trust Him. You have to learn to trust the Lord. And, and the only way you'll ever learn to trust Him is by trusting Him. It's, you know, we can talk about it all, we can talk about it for, until Jesus comes back, but if we never actually step out and trust him, you'll never learn to trust him, okay? But if I could, without offending anybody, I'm not trying to offend you this morning, I'm just, again, do not let your philo for the Lord make you think, deceive you into thinking you're exempt from all of this, because none of us are. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is saying to us, that our trust problem is directly connected to our esteem problem remember now philo will never teach you how to trust god philo will never teach you how to trust god only agape only esteeming him valuing him right and and what he has to say to you and about you and considering that to be more precious to you than other things that you want to say and do and other ways you want to live it's it's actually that esteem that provides the, 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 the basis, if you will, for learning to trust God. So when I say our trust problem is directly connected to our esteem problem, I don't mean self-esteem. Your self-esteem is, is very important. Don't misunderstand me. God wants you to have a, a good estimation, a good understanding of your value and your worth. Okay? So when we talk about agape, I know some people say, you know, that's ridiculous. We talk about forgiving ourselves and loving ourselves. I do not think it's ridiculous at all. But even when it comes to having the right kind of love for yourself, remember you love other people as you love yourself. Are you with me? You cannot effectively love another human being if you do not first effectively love yourself. If you have a low estimation of your worth and your value, it's going to translate into you not properly estimating the value of other people. You love other people as you love yourself, and you love God by loving other people. So when we talk about loving ourselves, again, we... We let so much of that be based upon philo. You know, if we're really doing good and, and, and ticking all the boxes and, and uh, you know, following some regimen or discipline, we should follow regimen and discipline, right? But, see, a lot of people think, well, man, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm being good, I'm living good, I'm acting good, and, and so uh, I'm a lovable person, you know, I'm a good person. Then we may hit a bump or two and struggle and these kinds of things, and now all of a sudden we're feeling bad about ourselves. See, notice now, if we let the love that we have for ourselves rise and fall with how we feel about ourselves, that's philo. 
Agape is, are you following me? Agape is based upon your worth as an individual, and your worth as an individual is determined by the God who created you. And as far as he's concerned, you were worth as much to him as Jesus because that was the price that it cost him to redeem you back to him, and he paid it willingly. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Amen. So even when we talk about self-esteem and self-value and self-worth, you know, that, that applies here. But when we say our trust problem is directly connected to our esteem problem, I'm not talking about how you esteem or value yourself. I'm talking about your esteem or valuation of God, His ways, and His things. Now, let me give you uh, an important word, and I really feel like this word came straight from the Holy Spirit in this, in, in this point, okay? Esteem facilitates trust. Esteem facilitates trust. When I was originally working on this, I had the word determine there, that esteem determines trust, and I just, it just it didn't register. I, I, could, I could make a case or an argument that that, that that would be a true statement, determines trust, but I just... So finally, I just kind of stopped, prayed in the Spirit for a minute. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a different word here. And this was the word that he gave me. He said, esteem facilitates trust. Now, you may know what facilitate means, but let me just tell you anyway, okay? Facilitating something means to make an action or a process easier. To make an action or a process easier. And when I looked that up, I went, okay, you're, you know, he's smart, right? You know, I mean, he knows. So it's, it's that esteem facilitates trust. In other words, esteem makes it easier to trust. The higher you esteem something or someone, the easier and even more natural it becomes to trust that thing or person. Right? You ever had a car that you were thankful for but didn't have much esteem for? <laughs> Amen. I just recently bought some tires for my truck. Those tires for my truck cost more than my first car. I'm like, what in the world? I mean, obviously, it's, it's been quite a few years since I bought the first car, but nonetheless, amen. Compare that to, like, all of a sudden, you've got a new car in the garage. You trust, you trust that new one's going to crank, right? So notice now, the higher you esteem something, the higher you esteem someone the easier and more natural it becomes to trust that thing or person but not only is that true the opposite of that is true the lower you esteem something or someone the harder and more forced it becomes to trust that thing or person now i know this is pretty simple but i hope you're staying with me okay the, the, the higher you esteem, the higher value you place on something, the easier and more natural it is to trust. So, but, but the lower the esteem, now we got a trust problem, right? But we don't often think about the trust problem being produced or, 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 or being rooted in an esteem problem. Because we don't have the proper estimation. We don't have the proper value. Stay with me. We're going to develop this more. And I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here so we can build on it, right? So... This is where, and listen to me, this is where I think a lot of people are. It's, it's kind of like the misunderstanding in the body of Christ when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. If you've ever heard, you know, people teach on the fruit of the Spirit, more times than not, they teach on the fruit of the Spirit as, it, as, it, as, it's, as, it's, as if it's a line that you've got to toe. 
as if this is uh, something that you need to strive and struggle and white knuckle and redouble your efforts to live up to. My friend, that's not fruit. Fruit is something that is produced on a tree naturally. If a tree is healthy, it's going to have fruit in a few months. It's fixing to start blooming and, and budding and leaving, leaves coming out of its branches. And, and the next thing you know, those blossoms are going to start forming uh, you know, nodes and different things, and, and it's going to become fruit. And it's not because during the winter that tree went to a fruit seminar and had somebody tell them about oranges and what oranges are and, and every Bible verse, you know, every verse in the Bible that, has, that talks about an orange and now you go and produce oranges or you're a lousy Christian. See, that, that's, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is when we're walking in the Spirit and we're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit and we're feeding our Spirit and our Spirit is healthy and, and, and is fellowshipping with God Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. These things just, you, you can't stop them from being a part of your life. It, it grows and blossoms in your life, right? See, when we talk about trusting God, this is something, trust is something that comes natural. It, it, it comes easy when it's right. But see, when something is not, is not exactly the way it needs to be in our lives. And I don't necessarily talk about sin. I'm just talking about something seems to be missing. It puts trust in the category of not something that comes easy or natural, but something that we have to force. God forbid, but listen to me now. It feels like it's something we have to force or even fake. See that? No. That's not trust. That's not trust. Are you following me? Think about the people in your life that you just naturally trust. I guarantee it's people that you have a high, high esteem of. It's, it's people that you respect. It's people that, that you look up to, so to speak. Remember he told us to trust upward, not downward. Trust greater, not lesser. Are you seeing this? I know it's simple, but I think it's something that we've overlooked in all of this. So esteem facilitates trust. Esteem makes, makes, makes trusting a whole lot easier. So I know I've probably said it enough already, but here's another way. You cannot have a high level of trust in something or someone you have a low estimation for. Now, some key points that we've been covering throughout. I want to gather them and we're going to turn to some more scriptures, okay? Remember, Father can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. You were created to live on a level you can't get to on your own. You were created to have things that no amount of effort and sacrifice or money can buy, okay? You, you were created to, to experience and, and have in overflowing abundance things in your life that money can't buy. Okay. And so Father's trying to take you to those places, but he can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. Remember, he is not the great cowboy, he's the great shepherd. The cowboy drives, the shepherd leads. He's out in front of you telling you to come on, but he's going to lead you down a path the Bible says you've never been down before. And if you're going to follow him down a pathway you've never been down before, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to trust him. And if you have a low estimation of him, you ain't going anywhere. You ain't following him anywhere. You might listen to him. You might call him Lord, Lord, because you have a special place in your heart for him. 
But when it comes to how you actually do this thing called life, you're going to keep doing it the way you've always done it. So Father can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. And all the ways of God require trusting Him. You'll never do anything that God says. You'll never follow through in your life reality on anything God says without trusting Him. Trusting God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Doors that cannot be opened any other way. We have a lot of words for this, but one of my favorite ones, are you ready? It's called growth. This is how we grow. This is how our hearts uh, know things and see things, right? By taking these steps of faith. Now, here's, here's the segue, all right? Doing what God says requires trusting Him. Doing what God says begins with esteeming Him and His ways above yourself and your ways. Notice that we're right back to that esteem. We're right back to agape begins with esteem. So why do we do things our way instead of God's way? Maybe I'm the only person in here that's ever done things my way instead of his. Okay. I don't think so. Let me just read just real quick. I can read it faster than I can explain it, okay? This is a legitimate question that needs to be explored. The easiest answer is familiarity. We have done things our way and know what to expect when we do. The ways of God are different and often unfamiliar. So when given a choice, we tend to stick with the way we have always done it. In previous sessions, we've looked at how familiarity gives us a sense of control. And remember, the dilemma of trust is control. Since we cannot trust, come on now, let's just get right down to the brass tacks. Since we cannot trust and be in control at the same time, see, See, that's the dilemma of trust. I said there's only one way to learn to trust God. That's by trusting him. There's only one reason why we don't. We're afraid of what will happen if we do. Since we cannot trust and be in control at the same time, we tend to not trust. But buried somewhere in all of this is what I call the judgment call. Anybody in here besides me ever made a judgment call? What do I mean by a judgment call? Do you understand this terminology? When faced with a choice between two or more ways of, of going about something, the only way to break the impasse of indecision is to make a judgment call. This simply means we weighed all the options and we made the best decision we could in the moment. I said all that, though, to make this one point. Making a judgment call means this. We valued, see, so we're back to that esteem, we valued one way of doing it over the other, however many other ways it was. The judgment call was actually a value call. We valued it. We, we esteemed one way of doing it and the potential outcome of doing it that way over the other ways of doing it and the potential outcomes of doing it those ways. So the judgment call boils down to, again, a value call so why here's the answer if you want it all right so why do we do things our way instead of god's way because we value our way of doing things more than god's way you see this it, it comes back it, it always comes back to the value it always comes back to what where where our esteem is what we value so well, i just made a judgment call no no you made a value call I don't feel like I'm getting through to you. Do you understand this? 
you see, we, we, words mean something. Words mean something. How about this one, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart as long as it doesn't violate your own understanding. It's not what the Bible says, does it? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding in all your ways, not some, most, all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Okay? So notice now, our own understanding versus, you know, God's understanding. Why would we ever go with our understanding when we could go with his understanding? It's because we place a higher value on our understanding than we do his understanding. All right, let's go to Matthew 13. Praise God. That was my introduction. <laughs> Somebody just got really nervous. It's okay. Sometimes I never even get the introduction in, all right? Matthew 13, praise God. Oh, you believing with me for utterance? You believing with me for the Holy Spirit to breathe some things into us this morning? Yeah. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, again, Jesus speaking here. He's given us parables, come parables, things that we can, stories and things that we can relate to and, uh, and understand to, to see a bigger point. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So what's the imagery here? The imagery is man's taking a shortcut across somebody's pasture, wading through high grass, and he trips over something and falls and, you know, stumped his toe, whatever, and, and, and he gets up and he's like, what in the world just knocked me down? And he's looking around. And he sees the corner of a treasure chest sticking up out of the ground. Wow. So the Bible says that he hid it. I don't know what that means other than I believe he just like whatever was visible, he covered it over, he hid it because he didn't want anybody else stumbling across there and finding it before he could do what? Before he had the time to go and sell everything that he had to buy that field. Okay. This is something I've never really considered until recently, okay? And, and I, you don't have to believe this to go to heaven, but this is what I believe. I believe part of that man, number one, if that was the only treasure chest in that field, he was happy. But I believe that man, when he was buying that field, he was thinking, if there's that one treasure chest in that field, who knows how many treasure chests there could be for me to dig out of that field, right? So did he begrudgingly sell everything that he had to buy the field? Is that what the Bible says? Jesus said with great joy with great joy he gladly sold everything that he had just to buy that one piece of property did he do that because he thought he was going to come out on the short end of things did he do that because he thought well you know I mean everything I've got you know worth uh, 400,000 and that property is probably worth 20,000 and that treasure chest probably worth 80,000, so I'm going to take a 200,000 hit, but I just, I'm just, I'm just like treasure. No, see, again, he's doing this because he, he realizes that the value of that field and the treasure that's in it is more than whatever he has to do to lay hold of it. Are you seeing this? He, keep, he keeps going. Now, this is one of those unique things. Listen to me now. This is important. Um, 
rarely do you see, you do see it, but for Jesus to tell two parables back to back in the same gospel to make the same point. Okay? Now, we see something similar to this in another place in Matthew, and I think maybe the Holy Spirit just was the, he made Matthew aware of this. How many of you were surprised when you found out Jesus fed the multitudes more than once? See, a lot of times we get lost in reading the Gospels, and we think, well, it's just him repeating when he did it before, but no, we see that he actually did it more than once. And so now we have Jesus telling two parables back to back to make the same point. Let me tell you what he's doing here. He's providing emphasis, okay? He's providing emphasis. He's emphasizing something here by repeating it, but not just saying it the same thing twice. He's telling two different parables to make the same point. All right? So that, that in and of itself should cause our hearts to come to attention. So verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So now it's not treasure in a field, but it's a single pearl. Now notice that this man was a merchant who traveled the world seeking beautiful pearls. I think we would be safe to say that this man was an expert on pearls. If you wanted to have your grandmother's string of pearls appraised, you would more than likely want to carry them to this man because he knew a lot about pearls and about their value. So this was not a shiny object that caught this man's eye and he flew off the handle in a, in a rash uh, moment of excitement and, and, and bought something that turned out later to be of no value. No, why, why did the man sell everything that he had to buy that single pearl? There's no telling how many pearls this man had. He, he was a pearl collector. You know what I'm saying? This man traveled the world seeking pearls. He dealt in pearls. All right? He had bought and traded pearls for years. But now all of a sudden, he found one that he realized was of more value, there's that word again, than not just all the pearls he owned. He didn't just sell all the pearls he had. He sold all that he had. This man sold his chariot. This man liquidated his IRA. This man um, sold his house. This man sold his business. This man, are you understanding? He sold everything that he had to get the money necessary to buy that single pearl. Did he do that? Come on now. Did he do that to lose money? No. You see, in these two parables... We see men joyfully selling everything they had to purchase a field with treasure and a single pearl of great price. 
Why would they do something like this? The answer is simple. They esteemed the field with treasure and the single pearl, all caps now, more valuable, more valuable than everything else they had. So here's some bottom lines and we'll finish, okay? We will never learn to trust God until we learn to properly esteem Him. Okay? You will never learn to trust God as long as you place more value on what you have than what He has for you. As long as you value what you have more than what he has for you, not only will you never learn to trust him, you'll never experience and enjoy what it is that he has for you, right? Because how do we get to that next level? How do we live in that place that we were all created to live but can't get to our own? We get there by trusting the Lord. Do you see how all this works together now? This is, one of the, this is one of the areas where the devil really tries to trick us and deceive us. And again, um, Jesus having a special place in your heart can very easily play into this, right? Because you have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for him in, in your heart. We think that somehow, uh, you know, translates into this very high valuation of him when it does not. Remember when Jesus restored Peter, he says, Peter... Do you agape me? And Peter looked at him. He says, do I agape you? I philo you. Jesus asked him again. He says, do you agape me? He says, Lord, I philo you. Why is he answering him that way? See, we hear these words and we're like, which one's which now? Scratching our head. He knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, do you agape me? Do you value me, sir? Do you value who I am and what I've done for you? Do you value what I've said to you? Do you value the wisdom from my Father's kingdom that I've given to you? Do you value the ways of life that I've brought to you from another world? Are these things important to you? Do you value them? Do you value them enough to respond to them and obey them and follow through on them and experience in your life reality what only these things can produce in your life reality? And Jesus is like going, do I need to sing you another song, Jesus? I, I follow you. So they were on two separate pages here. Peter was letting these warm, fine, affectionate feelings for Jesus convince him that that was better or somehow more important or somehow overruled or trumped, you know, this just duty, responsibility, and discipline and follow-through, right? How about this one? Come on, guys, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? This, this is important. You need to pray for you. You need to pray that you won't enter into temptation. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus will pray. But you know, me and Jesus are so close, he'll understand if I don't. See? You see how this works? <laughs> me and Jesus, we're tight, you know. I mean, I, he healed my mother-in-law. Have I, ever, have I ever told you all that story when he healed my mother-in-law? See, <laughs> I was there. I mean, hey, listen, there's 12 of us, but there's really three of us that are the closest to him, and I'm one of those three, and don't, don't tell John, but, you know, I'm the one who knew who he was first. 
See, all that's Philo talking, right? I, I love him. I, I, you know, he's never been harder on anybody than he's been on me. That tough love, that just shows how much he loves me. See, all this stuff, right? Feelings in his heart, all this, right? And so now Jesus is trying to help him and correct him and show him where he went wrong. And, and he says, do you agape me? And he's like, oh, Jesus, that's, that, that's for these beginners. You know, I, I've done crossed over into Philo now. You'll never learn to trust God as long as you place more value on what you have than what he has for you. You'll never learn to trust God as long as you value your own understanding more than you value his understanding. By the way, esteem means to, to value, to, to make evaluation. How about this one? You'll never learn to trust God as long as you value what you want more than you value what he wants for you. You'll never learn to trust God as long as what you think is more important to you than what he thinks. You'll never learn to trust God as long as you value spending time as you please more than spending time with him and his people. You'll never learn to trust God as long as you prioritize your agenda above his agenda for your life and family. So one more time, God having a place in your heart is not the same as him having a place in your life. Okay. Stand with me, praise God. Are you getting anything out of this? All right. Amen. I'm, I'm not, hear me now, I, I think those of you who know me, you know my heart. I'm not, I'm not here, I'm, I try to use we, us, and, and our, you know, um, those last ones I know I went with you more directly, but remember, before I ever said these things to you, the Lord said them to me first. Amen. So I'm not trying to, you know, condemn you or, or place some heavy load or weight on you. But again, when, when we tell the Lord that we love him, I pray that from now on when you say, Jesus, I love you, and that you'll say, and that's, that's Philo talking, and later today I'm going to let my agape do some talking. Right? It's like, Jesus, I, I, I love you, and that's Philo. Now let me get my Bible out and turn this TV off and, and say to you that I agape you. You, you, you see the difference there, right? Ah, man, man, Jesus, I, you know, he, if there's anything he needs me to know, he'll tell me. We're just close like that. I don't have to, that, I mean, there's, you know, I've, I've read the Bible. See, again, that's, you're letting Philo deceive you. You're letting it deceive you. Yes, Lord, I'll say it again. Amen. You'll never learn to trust God as long as you place more value on what you have than what he has for you. Can I, can I tell you why we, and if, and if you do, then you, amen. But can I tell you why, let's just, I'll tell you what, it'd be easier to talk about other people since they're not here, okay? Can I tell you why some people <laughs> don't give everything they have for the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field that is the kingdom of God is because they think what they have is more important. They think what they have is worth more. See, the minute you realize that what he has for you is, a, is I want to say 10 times, but it's, it, 
I don't, there's not a big enough number. There's no comparison. What he has for you is so much better than what you have right now. And by the way, what you have right now, you got from him. If you've ever heard Keith Moore's story, he was shaving one morning. I mean, man, he had it all. He had the plane. He had the nice home uh, in Tulsa. He, he had more meetings than he could go uh, and, and, and preach. And, and um, just everything he dreamed of up at that point, you know, was coming to pass in his life. And he's in there shaving one morning. And the Lord says, I want you to sell all of this and move to Branson, Missouri and start a church. Oh, I can't be God, right? There's no way, right? And he struggled with that for a little while. And you know what the Lord finally said to him that, that he agreed and they did it? He said, do you not think I can do better for you than this? Do you not think I can do better for you than this? Now, what he had, are you following what I'm saying? It wasn't like he was, you know, um, struggling and in, in, in poverty or something like that. I mean, he was... He was very well accomplished at that point. Do you not think I can do better for you than this? And he said, yeah, I do, Lord. Sold everything. He told the Lord, he said, they don't, he said the runway is short, covered by mountains in Branson. Lord, it's not a good place to live. It's, it's not a good place to base a, a, a ministry where you fly and all this stuff. They did it. They moved to Branson. You know what the Lord told him? Was it two weeks after he moved to Branson? I forget exactly. They'd, lived, they'd been there a little while. And the Lord told him, he said, Keith, I'm going to give you the best of Branson. And you know what he did? They've got the best piece of property. They've got, I don't know how many acres on the, on the strip there, um, the home they live in. The, they even built him a new airport for his two jets. He's got an international jet. Then he's got what he calls a baby jet when he just flies around the U.S. There's no need to get that big daddy out of the hangar. But see, in the moment he's sitting there shaving, and the Lord says, I need you to sell all this and move to Branson. He's like, Branson? What in the world? Do you not think I can do better for you than this? Amen. Father, thank you for helping us. Thank you, Father, for teaching us. Thank you for showing us, Lord, the way forward in our lives for your glory. Father, every person that's listening to me right now, you gave them purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Every person listening to me right now has a God-given, God-assigned destiny to fulfill in this life and in the life that is to come. Every person listening to me right now, Father, you have placed a tremendous value upon them as individuals. This is why you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. Not because everything we did made you happy, not because every choice we made, Father, uh, caused you, uh, your heart to swell with joy on your throne, Father. That was not, nothing to do with feelings. It had to do with value. It had to do with esteem. You esteemed us. You value us. Father, help us. Every person listening to me right now, myself included, help every one of us understand that all that we have for all that you have is the best deal, is the best deal that we will ever be presented with in this life, Father. You gave your best to us. 
Father, teach us to give our best to you. Father, not our agenda, your agenda. Not our thoughts, your thoughts. Not how we see it the way you see it. Not what we want, what you want. Not my will, not, not, not what I want, will for my life. What you want, what you will for me, Father. I can't have your will for my life and my will for me at the same time. So something's got to give. I've got to value one over the other, Father. I value your will for me. It's more important. It's more valuable. It's more precious. More beneficial. More life-giving. More productive. More fruitful. More peace-filled. More joy-filled. Father, it all comes down to esteeming you. And I think, Father, as, as, as we deliberately and intentionally begin to walk more and more in agape, understand what it is, value you and your ways above ourselves and our ways, Father, we're going to find that our ability to trust you naturally and easily, Lord, is, is going to follow suit, already is. Father, I know that most folks that are here this morning were, were excited and happy about being here. Others, Lord, it, because of things they're facing and dealing with in life hard, Lord, it, it, it took a lot for them to get here this morning. It took a lot. Lord, they, they would have probably, you know, physically, emotionally, just to stayed in bed, Father, would have been the easiest thing for them to do. But instead, Father, they esteemed assembling together with other believers. They, they, there's a value that we've placed on that, Father. Not because it's something we came up with, but it's something that you have revealed to us as being important to you. Father, may we value what's important to you above what's important to ourselves and to our own feelings and, and, and um, desires, Lord. This is real change, Father. This is real growth. This is where the next levels of kingdom reality will be experienced in our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us to trust our Father and His Son and Your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, for tuning in with us online this morning. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.